Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Chude Jijongwo from Nigeria. Chude, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Chude, I just don't know how to describe you. <laughs> you're a writer, you're a media guy, you're an entrepreneur, and you run masterclasses in joy. But let's start with the writing. Mm. You've recently published a book, How to Win Elections in Africa, Parallels with Donald Trump. Mm. So what are the parallels? Well, a number of things. One is the anti-establishment kind of fervor across the world. And we've seen that uh, in, in the West. We've seen it in Germany. We've seen it in the UK. We've seen it in, in the US. Um, in Africa, we've seen it in Nigeria, in Kenya, in, in, in Gambia, to a lesser extent in Zimbabwe with Mugabe. So there is a, there is a strong anti-institution, anti-establishment um, 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 passion amongst voters, especially young voters globally, for good or bad. And that thread or that strain was certainly apparent in the American elections. I mean, do you see us all in all these countries just becoming ungovernable? I see us becoming dissatisfied. <laughs> um, I think one of, I mean, with the explosion of media, I think has also come the explosion of expectation. So people often feel like there is some kind of nirvana we're supposed to be living in that. And like I always say, you can't, you can't vote out your pastor, you can't sack your mom, but you can vote out your elected official. So this sense of discontent is searching for an outlet, so to speak. That doesn't mean it is silly or illegitimate, but often it can be a, it can be a word that may be, small, may be less thinking than misplaced. <laughs> so, and so... I think citizens have an oversized expectation of what capitalism is supposed to do for us, what democracy is supposed to do for us, what uh, an individualist culture is supposed to do for us. And when people are disappointed, they begin to lash out. And institutions are the first victims of this lashing out and the least prepared. I mean, they used to say democracy was kind of, you know, the, the best of all the bad forms of government. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel that's no longer true, that we need some new system mm. for the information era in which we're now living? Well, I think that the one side of my brain says that we, we, we should make it better. I, I, I like democracy a lot. I think that it works. I think that it has fault lines, and that's what we should be working on. We should be working on... What is it about democracy that leads to elite bubbles? What is it about democracy that has uniquely led to income inequality? But again, there's a part of me that's quite conscious of human history. And it does seem unnatural for this, for democracy to last as long as it has, as a system mm -hmm. of government. And for it to last anymore would be a significant human accomplishment. You know, human beings have, through history, um, if you want to simplify it, constantly look for something better something better, something different. It kind of is in our genes, you know, even, mm. and so I, I, even though a part of me says, look, we've gotten something good, let's keep it, let's work it, let's make it better, something tells me that we will change this for good or bad. <laughs> so what got you interested in media and communications? Um, the same thing, telling stories. Um, since when I've been a, a, a younger, I've been in my teens, I've always been excited about the capacity of the media to just tell stories, stories that soothe, stories that inspire, stories that galvanize, stories that annoy people. It just seemed to me like media 
professionals had this otherworldly ability to, to affect people's lives from afar in a way that nothing else seemed to do and still nothing else appears to do as far as I can see. There's almost a magic to, to, to mass communication or even to, to, to micro-communication, to a podcast, to, a, to a, a, a TV recording. There's something magical about the ability to take this moment and broadcast it far and wide. And I've always been seduced <laughs> <laughs> by that possibility. And that's really what brought me to the media. In the first so you place. set up or you co-founded an organization, RED. <coughs> yes. Um, so for me, first, I was seduced by the media's capacity to talk to several people and to make them change their minds. But I never actually thought of the media as something that could make them change their mind towards kind of a preconceived agenda or something to, to kind of set an agenda and have people follow that. And my first paid media job was with a national TV show in Nigeria called New Dawn. They used to call it the Oprah of Africa, of Nigeria. And what it did was kind of, it used the media to, to do all kinds of things, to raise money for homeless children, to, to take care of widows, to help young people set up businesses. It was a daily three-hour breakfast show in Nigeria. And it seemed like its capacity to do good was limitless. And so I thought to myself, okay, this beyond just mesmerizing people, this, the media can actually be used to achieve an agenda. And I thought to myself, what's my agenda? And my mm -hmm. agenda was really for young people to be in the forefront of taking charge of their destinies, however that might be, and of creating social and political change. And I thought, I think the media can do that. So, Chude, whenever I look at you, I just smile. I smile too. <laughs> when I see you. And I know, you know, you've got this new idea. Yeah. And this new idea is about joy. Yes. So, tell me about it. I mean, it's a simple premise, to be honest. I just, um, I had too many unhappy people around me. I couldn't, at some point in my life, point to anyone and say, this person was truly flourishing. This person was truly performing at an optimal emotional and mental state. I just didn't think that people, I just sensed too much. As a journalist, I've interviewed about more than a thousand people. And what struck me most in interviewing people was I'd get into a house or an office and I'd sense sadness. And I didn't like that. I didn't want that. And also I sensed sadness in myself. I'd gone through bouts of depression. There was just nothing that, I just didn't have a state of sustained positive emotion. It didn't mean that, I mean, I appreciate sadness, I appreciate loss, I appreciate that this heart is inevitable, but I just thought there must be a better way to process these emotions. And so I began to find my own personal path towards joy. Um, and, and, and I think along the way, I stumbled upon a few things, including transforming my relationship with adversity. And so when I came to this kind of discovery, then suddenly I began to, began to find this treasure trove of research and evidence that kind of backed what I had already experienced, what I had already intuitively sensed. And that encouraged me to say, okay, I'm always suspicious of transferring personal experience. But the fact that my personal experience could be translated into an evidence-based framework made me think how many more people could benefit from having this transformed view of life. And so over the past one year, that has been my concern. I never thought, I thought I'd do it as a hobby, but I always blame you. <laughs> In the first two, three months of being at Yale and just meeting a vast array of people from Skip Masbach to Miroslav Volf, you know, to just these incredible people and being exposed to these vast amounts of research. I thought to myself, I couldn't see myself spending the rest of my life doing anything else 
but spreading the good news about joy. And so that's what I will be doing from the new year. Ochuda, that is wonderful. Thank you. So good luck with it. Thank you. And thank you very much. And thank you for this opportunity. I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Thank Thank you. Thank you.